situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Lee. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Travis Bob Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. So in the first year of a five-year, $180 plus million contract, it's probably not much of a shock that Jacob deGrom, two-time Cy Young Award winner and probably still the premier starting pitcher in Major League Baseball, is back on the injured list. And I pretty much pinpoint it to one thing. And it sounds crazy, and I, I mentioned this before, but Jacob deGrom throws too hard consistently. Every pitch is max effort, 100 plus miles an hour. And there's only so much that his forearm or shoulder or even his elbow can handle. For the rest of his career, whether he was pitching for the Mets or he's now pitching for the Rangers where he'll be for the next uh, five plus years, he's going to be stuck to those limitations. And because of that, expect more trips to the IL. Expect dominance in the you know, five starts or so that he can make consecutively without any pain in his arm. But his arm, his arm has proven that he cannot handle that stress of being able to throw the ball so hard. You've watched great pitchers in the history of baseball make adjustments, whether it's Roger Clemens or Pedro Martinez, even Justin Verlander. And there's some irony in the fact that Justin Verlander took the spot in the Mets rotation from Jacob deGrom, but Justin Verlander could still throw the ball really hard, but he doesn't. He, he finesse pitches his way through games, and if he needs to crank the fastball up a little bit faster, he does. I think Jacob deGrom has to make adjustments. If he wants to continue to be a major league pitcher, it's not that he doesn't have the talent, obviously. This is one of those rare situations where you're not looking at a player that's declining. Jake is still at the top of his game. He is still one of the elite pitchers in Major League Baseball when he's out there on a mound. His issue is he's throwing too hard, and he can't handle throwing as hard as he does. The batters can't handle it either. He blows hitters away. He can go out there and pitch to a, a one, one-and-a-half earned run average if for some reason he was able to make it through an entire season. The problem is he throws too hard consistently, and he can no longer handle that. So if Jacob DeGrom's going to have a major league career at the level that he's had over the last you know five or six or seven years, he's going to have to make the adjustment. He's going to have to not max out his fastball on every freaking pitch, or else he's going to be on the injured list two, three times a year for the rest of his career. Number two, I wanted to talk about doubleheaders as they apply to baseball. And you know we talk about how the owners will bank on every admission to a baseball game as part of their revenue, right? It's part of what they pay the players with. It's part of what they report as income. You know, it's part of one of the benefits of owning a baseball team. You have a chance to sell tickets for a given game and 100% of the revenue that comes from the tickets that are sold goes to the owners where they dish it out Accordingly, however they want, they could keep 100% of that if they want, but you know more than likely they distribute it out. It's whatever. So you, you understand my point with that. But when when it comes down to it, 
you know, the fans are in a, in a compromised situation when weather gets involved. You know, whether it is rain, snow, sleet, shit, whatever. If a game gets postponed, it has to be made up. And we're in a day and age where there's not that many days in a baseball season. So the likeliness is that most games that are postponed due to inclement weather will have to be made up as part of a doubleheader. And there's two different type of doubleheaders, which you already know. There's the single admission doubleheader, which one game is played right after the other. And provides probably for a better experience for the fan. More, you know, more than likely, the fans that come to one game get to see two games. And it's kind of a throwback of uh, what you used to see back in the 1950s and 60s when there were doubleheaders scheduled. Remember you know, the famous Ernie Banks quote, let's play two. And obviously there's a picture of him playing first base with Pete Rose, uh, you know, leading off of first base. Pete Rose says, let's, I'm sorry, Ernie Banks says, let's play two. Pete Rose says, yeah, I, I like a good parlay. Nonetheless, I regress. The single admission doubleheader seems to be the most logical and beneficial move for the fan going forward. Um, split doubleheaders, you understand that the teams want to get the two different admissions for the game. But really, it, it's it's kind of, it, it, it takes away the flow of the game between the two teams. Not to mention the inconvenience that it causes for the fans, which is obvious. But you have two teams that are playing a game, you know, let three hours go by and then go out there and try to play another one. It, it doesn't necessarily make for a good flow. If it's a rivalry game, if it's a game between two teams that are competing for uh, a playoff spot or a division title, then you know I think some of the passion and intensity is lessened by it as well. But I, I think it, sh it would be a great move by baseball to say, you know, F it, forget it, forget about the split doubleheaders. And let's make every doubleheader a single admission doubleheader. And even and, and even if you do, even if you raise the price a little bit, you say, hey, the, the fan that's paying for the game is going to pay 1.5 times what it would cost for one game because they're seeing two games. I could deal with that. But I think it's, it's, it's really unfair to empty a stadium and then fill it up, especially when you're talking about uh, a bunch of the teams that aren't really filling the stadiums. You're talking about... 20,000 fans or less in a lot of these games. So it, it really is an inconvenience to take one group of 18 to 20K out of the stadium and put another group of 18 to 20K in. That's point number two. Point number three is going to really be uh, a running point of this show. It's something that I've spoken about a handful of times already. And the NFL and their teams went, went to town on this. That there was a need, for whatever reason, for 14 different NFL teams to take a quarterback in a draft that was not very quarterback deep. In, in other words, you look at the top two guys that were taken in the draft, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, they were probably the best two quarterbacks in the draft. And if you want to throw an Anthony Richardson in there and say that he's going to be a long-term starter, maybe the third in a trilogy of big-time Colts quarterbacks from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck to Anthony Richardson, I, I could buy it. But after that, I mean, there's a reason that Will Levis wasn't taken until the second round. He was hyped as a top 10 pick by people that are just obsessed with quarterbacks. And this is going to be an issue in the NFL. 
And, and hey, listen, maybe you get seven picks on an average. We're talking about each one of the 30 teams. Uh, maybe you say, hey, it's worth a wild card to take one of them as a quarterback. Well, I'll tell you this. You're looking at probably about 11 or 10 quarterbacks that were taken in this draft that are going to be playing in the USFL or the XFL in about three years. Does it mean that one of them could develop into, I don't know, somebody's backup? You know, Sean Clifford out of Penn State was taken by the Green Bay Packers. Maybe he's Jordan Love's backup for the next, you know, five to ten years. If that's what you're looking to draft, then I understand. I mean, the New England Patriots are out there drafting a kicker and a punter in the draft. So you talk about wasted picks or, you know, maybe picks that you're going to fill a very minor role on your ball club, on your squad for the next handful of seasons. I think a bunch of teams made a mistake by drafting a quarterback in a draft that I've said was not very quarterback heavy. was not as bad as the draft the year before, which you heard me whining, bitching, complaining, and moaning about 365 days ago. But this was a draft that was not very deep in the quarterback position. Like I said, you got guys that can play the position. Stetson Bennett can maybe play the position. Maybe he could be a backup. But I'm, we're not looking at the future of the National Football League when it comes to quarterbacks that were taken in this draft. There was no need for 43.75% of all NFL teams to select a quarterback in this draft. As we move ourselves into the Saving Sports History segment of the Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLA.com, St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. On this day in 1922, Charlie Robertson pitched the fifth perfect game in the history of Major League Baseball. There's been 23 in the history of its illustrious sport. I don't believe there's going to be another one. Drew Smiley last week. Came close. He took it into the eighth inning. It's going to take a lot of things to have to go right. Pitch count's going to have to be down. The pitcher's really going to have to be at the top of their game. And I don't know if baseball's ready for another perfect game. It's been, what, since 2012? I think when Felix Hernandez threw the last one in Major League Baseball history. It's something that's going to be tough to see again. Something that would be worth it if we got to see again. On this day, uh, the 30th day of April... In 1939, the great Lou Gehrig played in his last Major League Baseball game for the New York Yankees. That ended his consecutive game streak at 2,130 games. Obviously, Lou Gehrig dying from a disease that would end up taking his name, ALS. Uh, Such a, a sad moment in the history of baseball. One of the greatest offensive position players to ever live. On this day in 1961, Willie Mays went out there and hit four home runs. It's been done uh, 20-something times in the history of Major League Baseball. Willie Mays did it today in 1961 against the Braves. In 1993, Monica Seles, the great tennis player, um, multi-time Grand Slam uh, uh, tournament winner, was stabbed in the middle of a court during a match by some schmuck. And the guy's famous quote is, I wasn't trying to kill her. I was just trying to hinder her from playing. A non-Monica Sellis fan didn't want Monica Sellis to, to win a tournament. Ended up going out on a court and stabbing her. Obviously in a day and age where there wasn't a ton of security. I don't know how you let a dude with a knife come into any sort of sports complex where there's a game going on. But, you know, whatever. Now, birth on this day. 
one of the greater sluggers in the early part of baseball history in the 1870s. Was, and his name was Charlie Jones. He was born on this day in 1852. Jack Sheraton, a major league umpire who uh, was part of four World Series as an umpire, 1905, 1907, 1908, 1910, was born on this day in 1862. Ray Miller, longtime pitching coach under Jim Leland, with the Pittsburgh Pirates, was also a manager before that with the Minnesota Twins, and after that with the Baltimore Orioles, was born on this day in 1945. Scrap Iron, Phil Gardner, longtime Major League infielder, was also a manager, was born on this day in 1949. Isaiah Thomas, and I've said it all along, he belonged on the original Dream Team in 1992. One of the greatest point guards in the history of the National Basketball Association. And once again, I judge the stats. I judge the player based off of their performance on the court, the field, the ice. I don't give a shit about any other opinion about an individual. Isaiah Thomas was great at what he did. Sport on his day in 1961. Michael Waltrip, longtime uh, auto racer, was born on this day in 1963. And... Longtime kick returner, most notably for the Giants and the Patriots, Dave Meggett, was born on this day in 1966. We lost Henry Picard, a great golfer, two-time Masters champion, in 1938 and 1939. He passed away on this day in 1997. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you're interested in hearing me flap my yap mouth, you can check out the Past Ball Show as a podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, of course, videos on YouTube. We'll be back with you soon. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on it in my life. Now they come out as the biggest major league baseball manager apologist that'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired because hitters are going out there saying i'm either going to hit a home run or i'm going to strike out and if i don't get a pitch that i feel like i could drive out of the park not even supposed to be here today especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when i say this there are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.